Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the experience of gaming, the psychological states we get into. Oh, what the hell? It, it, the, the combination of words that I have used to explain Rolling for Change has changed <laughs> over time. We started out with the idea that Rolling for Change was going to be a podcast about the psychology, the, the way that you use gaming in psychological environments and therapeutic environments and business environments, all the, you know, all the different ways that we professionalize our use of our hobby. And that's, that's great. That's awesome. But what's happened is it's gotten closer to my original idea of what I wanted to do for a podcast, which was to talk about the experience of gaming and how it impacts us psychologically, how it impacts the culture that we exist in, how it impacts us as a hobby and how it impacts others. So we're getting to where I want to be, but it's not maybe the same definition that you originally thought it was going to be. And that that's okay. I just felt like there was a need to call attention to the fact that I had this realization that we have changed our pedigree for what Rolling for Change is, but not changed its genetics. There you go. I don't even know if those two words worked well together. Anyway, what you're about to listen to is a uh, discussion between Brian Josue and myself regarding uh, games that are life simulations. We're talking about games like Sims, you know, on the PC side, and the game of life on the board game side, and many other games in between. You know, maybe there's kind of some kind of spectrum of life simulation games. So we wanted to get into the discussion of what is a life simulation game, why do we turn to a life simulation game, and what benefits does it provide us as gamers, both in the hobby or people coming into the hobby, that have maybe never thought about these things. So I think it's an illuminating conversation, and I hope that you will too. Um, as always, if you find this podcast of interest, please make sure you review us and rate us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on all of those different podcast catchers that you might have out there, and write to us. We are gamers at rollingforchange.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like to hear what kind of impact our show is making on you and whether or not you have any content you would like to hear because we're always game for something new. So, without further ado, here's the podcast. Have fun and uh, stay in touch. That's a Grateful Dead thing. Welcome to Rolling for Change. I am joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Brian Peace. Hello. And Josue Cardona. Hello. Hi, guys. Let's talk about some games. That's what I'm here for. I'm pretty excited uh, to talk about this. I didn't think that this was going to be the, this amazing theme, but it, as I did research and started to build things up, I started to get really excited about the kind of things we can talk about. And uh, our, our discussion today is about life simulation games, and we're going to talk about the kind of the how and why of life simulation games. But first, let's do what we always do, check in and talk about games we're playing, things that are making an impact on our lives in some way, shape, or form in the gaming world. And I'll, I'll throw it over to Hostway first this time. Man, uh, just last night, I, I, I needed to vent, <laughs> and it was like one o'clock in the morning, and I, I looked online, and 
a friend of mine was playing a game that I that I really 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 like called Monster Hunter, and so I was able to jump in at one a.m. to have this uh, very. Uh, it was like a conversation that I needed to have with somebody, <laughs> and my friend was um, was a, a great choice, and he was available, so we we started playing, and we were playing this game um, that is it's about monster hunting. <laughs> you have a hunter hunting monsters. It's a lot of fun. I love it. I love it so 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 much. Um, I, I believe uh, more than any game I've played in recent years, there's this aspect of mastery to it. So every single time I play, I played it for over a hundred hours, and and probably another 40 hours just studying it as in like reading about it looking at youtube videos so the whole experience of playing the game is always this like pursuit of mastery and and i love it for that reason but and also what is the mastery you're trying to pursue i mean i guess ch- catching monsters yeah, uh, yeah yeah it's just it's just like any game right you play and you once you like you see the matrix right you see the code <laughs> you're like right. oh wait a minute like i Oh, like I can do this, and I can do this other thing, and I can get better. And, and you see other people playing, and you're like, "How do how do they how do they do that?" Right? And you're like, "Oh, okay, I can get to that level if I practice enough, if I learn enough of the systems." It's a complicated game, but it's one that I don't know. I enjoy in general. I enjoy that pursuit of mastery in in mm-hmm. many things, but this game in particular does it in in a way that I I really appreciate. And speaking of appreciation, the game. It's uh, celebrating its one-year anniversary since it was released. It's on consoles and PC, and they're doing an appreciation festival. So they're bringing back everything that was special throughout the year, like special events, and everything is decorated, and there's this suit that looks like you're in a white tuxedo with a top hat, and I want it more than anything that I've wanted in a long time. <laughs> so uh, I, I really love that game. I'll be playing it every day for <laughs> the next couple weeks during that appreciation festival, and ooh, I just love it. Wow, I feel like I need to check this out. I don't know anything about this game. I think you've mentioned it a couple of times now, but I, I still don't have uh, any clue uh, of what what it is. But um, looking forward to checking it, yeah. it out. Yeah. Oh well, there there is also. Um, I've also been playing um, for Christmas. I got uh, this one is a, a a physical game. It's called Iota. It's this card game. And yeah, it's a little like it's a pocket game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my sister got it for me, and it was funny the first time. Uh, I tried to play it. Me and my girlfriend were trying to play it and learning the rules. I fell asleep. <laughs> and the first time she started reading the rules, she fell asleep. But the second time, it was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> when we finally knew how to play, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's one of those games. What what do you call a game where the goal is to, like, you're just racking up points like crazy. It's like just multipliers and, like, you can do things like, in four different ways, touching on seven different lines, and I—I I don't know if there's Is a name for that. Kind of like a point salad, where there's like multiple paths to victory. Uh yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, there's just like just points, right? It's like whoever has the most points. But yeah. the game is really designed in a way for you to. It's not like it's like you know how like, like Scrabble is. You know there are tiles, and like you get a word, and maybe you can double, like you can put one letter mm-hmm. that does two words in two different places. So like this does has like four different systems working all at the same time. So you can try to game them all and and multiply one like one play can be multiplied four times because of different okay. things that you did. So it's really one of those things where like, okay, I got seven points this time. I got three hundred and forty two points this other time. And uh that 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 part was really fun once we really understood 
the the mechanics of it. And it, yeah, it's super tiny. It's just like it fits in your pocket. It's a good game to. Most of the games that I have that are board games are portable. Like you know, we take them yeah. to friends' houses. We like to keep them in the car, things like that. That was good. And that one's and definitely. Then, and very then my, my girlfriend brought home. A, yeah, yeah. And then my girlfriend brought a, bought a game, a music game. And that was, um, I forgot the name of it, but it has kazoo's in it. It's like four kazoo's. So and then these cards have different uh, song titles on them, at three different difficulties. And then the goal is to use the kazoo to do the song, and and other people have to guess what it is. That was a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. Kazoo's yeah. against humanity. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> that is not I like the that. Name I don't know game. about that one. You'll have to. You'll have to send me a link for that one sometime. I. I. I think I could enjoy a game. I mean, obviously, music is a big part of my life, so I think I'd enjoy a game about music and kazoo's. Yeah. That. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And and just a little side note: those little games like Iota. There's a whole series of those games where they're pocket games where you just kind of put it in your pocket and carry it with you, and it's it's just this really simple, simply made game. Not you know not a lot of components, but it, they're well done. Every time I've played one of those, I've really enjoyed it. There's one that's like a deep sea fishing dive, pressure luck kind of thing. I can't remember what it's called, but you're just trying to you're trying to see how long you can stay underwater and collect treasure and still get up in time before your oxygen runs out. That one's a lot of fun too. Deep Sea yeah. Adventure might be what Sounds it's called. Fun. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and talk about uh, something that I've been playing. Actually, it's it's been a couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks, since I've actually played a board game, which is really sad because that's not normal to my, my way of being. Uh, but we got to play Council of Four. Um, and this is... Uh, it's by uh, Simone Luciani and Daniel Taschini. I hope I'm saying those names correctly. But uh, these are the same guys who are involved in a lot of my favorite games. They do... Um, uh, I think they're responsible for... Well, one of them's responsible for part of Teotihuacan. Am I right, Brian? Um, yes, Luciani I think so. was responsible. He's Teotihuacan and Zulkin and yes. uh, Marco Polo, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know my history on Tuscany, but uh, the the game is a, a cool mini or not game. The minis are definitely stunning. Um, not that you need the minis to be stunning, but it does add kind of a flavor to the game. Um, and it, it's a game where you're trying to create kind of an engine by using area control to create that engine. And I'm not going to get too much into the details of how you play, except to say that my experience of it, well, so... Not to say anything negative about the people that were around me, but everyone was saying that I was playing the game so well, and I didn't feel like I was doing a lot, but I felt like it was kind of nice to have that immediate mastery of the game or immediate understanding of how this particular mechanic works. Um, And uh, everybody else was just upset with themselves that they weren't getting where they wanted to get to. And I just felt like uh, I was way outside of the the social realm of the game because I'm like just sitting there just doop-de-doop-de-doop-de-doop collecting points and... Um, getting a lot of you know under the breath mutters about how uh, how nasty things were going to befall me as a result of uh, my playing style. I don't think those mutters were so quiet. <laughs> yes, Brian was a part of this game. Um, it is a, just a beautiful game and uh, a lot of fun to play. Um, I, I think I'd I think I'd recommend anything uh, Simone Luciani does. 
I think that the the, the games that the games that Simone Luciani does are just fantastic. I, I have not met one of his games yet that I didn't like. I'm assuming it's a he. I apologize if I'm wrong. They don't show you pictures of board game designers on boxes like they do. Like if you buy a book, you see the author. But if you buy a game, you don't usually see a picture of the maker. So that's uh, that's a couple that I've been playing. What about you, Brian? What's, what's floating your boat? Okay. Well, I've been... Um... I've been kind of out of the loop for a while. I've been playing games, you know, here a lot. And but yesterday I went to a cider cidery um, and tried a bunch of different ciders, and they were they had a lot of people there playing games, and uh, we had a lot of fun with that. We played um, Vikings, of course, which is you know a, a two to four player game where you're um, you have a rondelle that tells you how much each viking and tile costs and you're building out islands and sending your vikings to those islands to claim that territory and you're gathering money you're gathering points and the person with the most points at the end of the game wins it's a pretty neat little game Mm -hmm. but it's an older game and we brought that one and taught it and the other two games that we played one was a dexterity game and one was a party game and if anyone's been listening to this (laughs) podcast long enough they know that those are my those are typically my two kryptonite games but that's so that's what people wanted to play. However, both of these games went on my one must is called have Catch list. the Moon. It is now, as far as dexterity games go, flicking games are my are really my kryptonite. And on the opposite end of the spectrum are balancing games or um, stacking games. I like those. Like animal animal upon animal, that kind of thing. I, I really like yeah. those kind of games. This one, the idea is you're trying to build trying to situate some ladders so that you can reach the moon. You're trying to get as high as you can. There is no actual moon. You never actually reach the moon because someone's going to lose the game before you get there. <laughs> so, but you're, you're trying to do it because we all know you can't actually reach the moon with a ladder unless you're in a fairy tale. Um, but what you do is you start off depending on the number of players with a certain number of ladders. We started with two ladders. There were four of us playing um, and you put the, and you put those two ladders in one of the slots on the base then you roll the die. Each player rolls the die, and from the time they pick up the die and roll it until the time the next player rolls the die, you are responsible for whatever happens to those ladders. Which means if you're passing the box of ladders to someone and you bump it and knock something off, hey, it's tough luck. Um, you've taken negative points. So what your what your goal is, is you roll the die. The die tells you you either your ladder must either touch only one ladder must touch only two ladders or you get a moon symbol, which means you can touch one or two ladders, but your ladder at the end of your turn must be the highest ladder on the structure. So you start off with these two ladders put into a base and you're trying to take these ladders and position them on the other ladders so that nothing falls over. And the ladders are all, there are three ladders that are completely straight. The rest of them are all kind of funky shaped. They were built by someone who doesn't know how to build a freaking ladder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have, basically it's like warped pieces of wood so that they're kind of off to the side a little bit. Some of them have little notches that come out in the in between the rungs, like it's a broken rung somewhere. And you can u- utilize those. Sometimes they get in the way and sometimes they're really useful for helping you position things so that the ladder will just hang in just such a way it's only touching one thing. Um, however, 
and you can you can do anything you want to so long as no pieces of ladder touch the base except for the first two and the structure doesn't fall apart you can use your ladder to move the ladders around so that you can set it up so that it's nicely balanced but the minute you let go of your ladder what happens happens and you're stuck with the, with the with what whatever's going to happen if you're if you wind up touching more ladders than you're allowed or if you roll a moon if your ladder at the once you let go of it ends up not being the highest point on the ladder structure you take a teardrop and that's a negative point if you knock a ladder if you knock a ladder off it goes back into the box never to be used again and you take a, a teardrop a negative point because you screwed up the you you've thrown off the mojo of the ladder and it keeps going around until either all the teardrops are gone or until all the ladder pieces are gone if you reach a, you're never going to get all the ladder pieces gone things fall apart the cinder does not hold <laughs> entropy happens so last night's game we wound up with all the teardrops being gone and two of us were tied for first place me and david satterfield who has been on here with our um oh yeah he uh, talked to us about hanabi hanabi yeah the, the hobby episode and it was between me and him at the end so it became a moon off and that doesn't mean we got up and dropped. It doesn't mean we got up and dropped trow and showed oh. off. That doesn't mean that a moon off means you you that treat brings the, a whole new meaning yeah. to uh, to catch the moon. You still roll the die because that signifies that <laughs> you still roll the die because that signifies you're taking responsibility for what happens to the structure. But you, no matter what you roll, you're rolling a moon. So you can touch one or two ladders, but your ladder has to consistently be the highest point until somebody screws up and I didn't win so much as David lost <laughs> because he was the first one to go first one up on the moon off and the structure fell or part of the structure fell. So by default, I won. I didn't even have to put another ladder piece on. So I count that as a win in my book. Um, but it was it's a really, win in your book that you're playing a, uh, a dexterity game that I like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other one is called, it's a party game called just one. And it's very similar to another game I have called Eye to Eye that I really like, okay. um, except um, where everyone's comparing words. What you have is one person picks up a card and it has five words on it. You do not get to look at the card. You hold it up for the entire group to see and you say uh, three and they're going to look at the word in the number three slot and they have to on their little white erase board give you a one word clue to help you guess that. It can't be a foreign word that means the same thing. And you can't use a variation on that word, of course, but it can only be a one word clue. Everybody does theirs in secret. Then once everyone gets their clue written down, the, per the, the clue, the, the clue receiver has to close their eyes. Everyone shows off their, their words. And if there are any matches, they get thrown out. So there are some that are like, obviously this would give them the thing right away, but if two people put down the, put down that one because it's so obvious, well, you don't get that one. So what you're left with are the least obvious clues, the least common clues, because someone else has put it down. So um, we had one of them was Jedi and my wife, Ginger, and another person wrote down Yoda. So Yoda got thrown out. Um, the rest of us, I put in uh, Windu, Mace Windu, mm -hmm. and so no one else guessed that one. So I, I that mine got to stay in. Um, 
for another one of them, um, let's see. There were a bunch of them we were able to get geek references off for. Some of them were too deep a cut. Like someone, it was Bath, and I was thinking, everything I can think of wouldn't work for that. So I put down Wife, because I'm thinking Wife of Bath. The Wife of Bath. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, she hadn't read Canterbury Tales in a long time, so she didn't get that one. Okay. She, she got, the, she got the, the guess eventually, but my clue was no help. <laughs> so you've got, you've got to balance how deep your cuts go. Because if you go for something you know no one else is going to get, well, it may also be something that no one else will guess. Yeah, that's got that Dixit feel to it where you've got right. to try to present something that only a few people will know and not everybody. Yeah. David and I were on a perfect wavelength. He, he put down one that I looked at, his, looked at his clue and I said, oh, it's this, obviously. It was like, <laughs> where did you get that? And it was this super uber geek reference that no one else got but me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it, it was a really neat little game. And of course, being an English teacher, it's a word game. So of course I immediately like it. Um, but it was unlike a lot of games like that. I, it has to have a social aspect to it. Um, I can't remember the name of the game, but there's another one where you're, you're supposed to throw off one word clues and then, um, you, you give, Phrase clues and then single word clues and then nothing but mimes trying to get people. Uh, time's, time's up. Time's up. Time's yeah, up. Time's yeah, up. time's up. And I hate that game because you're only communicating with your partner and everyone else has to say completely silent. So if it's not your turn, you're just sitting there silently listening to all the clues. And it's not social and I don't like it. This one, we're all writing down our clues and bantering back and forth and showing off our clues and mocking people who got things that that match someone else or mocking someone who really, I mean, I get where you're going, but they're never going to guess that. And it was a very social thing. And I have to have that social aspect. I have to be able to talk and joke and goof off during the game or else I don't like it. And this one was absolutely perfect for that. So those were my main games I played recently. Excellent. I have to mention that uh, uh, for those people who are looking for another podcast, that it sometimes has kind of a similar feel to what we do. Uh, Ludology recently did a really wonderful podcast on party games that I thought was just a great sort of like, they really took them apart and kind of identified what makes party games tick. And I, I thought that was really worthwhile to check out. Oh, I do want to clarify something for you. Board Game Geek, however, does have pictures of, um, of designers and Simone Luciani, born in 1977, is an Italian game designer, and he has a big old beard, so I think we've narrowed that down. You had to go and one-up me, huh? You had to do some Google-foo while we were talking. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, Josue? Uh, well, this is I think this is the only place where, where I can mention this, and it would uh, be appreciated. Um, the other day... Uh, I ordered something from Uber Eats. Uh, yeah, and it it's new in my area, so I'm I'm uh, very happy uh, that it's been expanded to to around here. And so I've ordered a few times. And yesterday, for the first time, I remembered the game Crazy Taxi. I don't know if any of you guys. Oh have, yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh my so god. I was like, wait a minute. So this guy just looked at his phone. He was told go pick up the food over there. He went in, picked it up ran over to me and practically didn't even leave his car, gave me the food, and then immediately spun off to like go do it again. So he was crazy taxi. He's he just playing real life crazy taxi. Without the oh, without man. the death and destruction. I, I couldn't stop smiling. <laughs> without the death and destruction, we could only hope. 
I think yeah. Uber Eats would make a lot more money if they branded themselves Crazy Taxi. Yeah. Crazy yeah. Food Taxi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they, they just added. Well, I mean, they should never do this, but like add points for being faster and things like, like in the actual game, or just yeah. like throw it out the window so you catch it. Like I don't know if you remember that game. Like you could, like yeah. people, you just threw them out. <laughs> oh man, I think that was the problem early on when when I think it was Domino's that said you know thirty minutes or it's free. And yeah. the problem was that you had people just putting themselves in life threatening situations to get the pizza to the people by the before yeah. the thirty minutes. Oh, yep, and yep. <laughs> I, I do I do have to mention one other game I've been playing a lot of, and it's one I've mentioned the last couple episodes. I've still been hooked on this war of mine, which I will say <laughs> has gotten significantly less depressing the more I play it. Because I've gotten really good at it, and I've been able to mitigate the need to steal from people. Hmm. Okay. So pretty much I've I've developed strategies to keep me safe. And if I have to steal, it's from people who are, you know, raiding Raiding other people, raiders, bad people. So, so I don't death get of bad people is morally okay. Yeah, Robin Hood. <laughs> it's Robin Hood, man. Steal from the it's rich. It's Robin Hood. And I also have the DLC that ha adds children into the equation. So you have to build toys for them and keep them happy and keep them fed. And it's it's really really become a very interesting game for me to try to figure out the strategy to make it as undepressing as possible. I'm I'm very curious, Brian. Like, what mood were you in? Were you like, hmm? I feel like playing this War of Mine right now. <laughs> it it becomes it becomes an obsession whenever I say there's got to be more to this game than just utter depression. Gotcha. And so I start researching strategies, and the more I play it, the more more I'm like, I have completely succeeded with every single grouping except two, and that's just because I haven't played with those two the, that those two groupings of people yet. Um, you have one where you start off with really great people who are perfectly suited, you know, synchronized to to deal with the situation all the way down to having one guy who's just a great scavenger. And you have to eventually take other people in who have good skills. And and then, of course, you have the children where they're an additional thing where they can do work around the house. You can train them to do certain things. But if you make them work too much, they feel like they're working all the time and they get utterly depressed and um, you have to find them playtime because they're little kids. Um, and whenever you get raided, they get scared and that makes them depressed. So you have to really beef up security to keep people out. But it's that, fi that, that finding of where people enjoy the game where it's not just depressing. And I found that middle way point where I've become so strategically good at it hmm. that I'm able to do... I'm able to feel like a hero whenever I whenever I survive, rather than feeling like I had to do the horrible things necessary to survive. That that reminds so. me of a game called Spec Ops: The Line, which, it, when people talk about it, they always talk about it in the sense of like, oh yeah, that game is about PTSD and the mm -hmm. the trauma of war, and the effect that it has on people. And I played through it the first time. I was like, that was an amazing experience, but the shooting was kind of fun. I'm gonna go back again and go through it. <laughs> And get all the trophies, and and I I was able to find this really fun game within this, you know, narrative that was designed to convey certain feelings in a particular experience. But I I loved it. Like I thought I thought the shooting and, and, and the actual like a level design was was really fun. So I, I never heard anybody talk about this War of Mine as a game. You know, that's man makes me want to go back and and revisit it because I've never yeah, really given it a chance. 
It's kind of like yeah. Brian's found something hidden within that we didn't really recognize was there. Because I was thinking this War of Mine is a game that is specifically meant to teach you the lesson that there are some really bad life situations and you have to deal with those really bad life situations in the best way possible. I mean, it's still doing that for you, Brian, but I, I think that what you've, you've found kind of the hidden gem of the game, which is that you can make it through these situations and not have to make the bad decisions. Um, right. That's fascinating to me. Well, I mean, one of the ways you keep people from being depressed in the game is people come to your door and say, you know, my mother's very sick. Do you have any medicine? And you're looking around at your people who are also very sick and thinking, well, I don't know if I can do that or not. And I found that if I give these kids the medicine and then whenever they come back, give them the food, not only does it boost the morale of the people in my place and boosted morale helps you whenever it comes to overcoming an illness. So later on, whenever you find medication it's more effective, but also those people, once the mother recovers, she comes back and brings you some goods later for helping her out. And people come from all over the place. They're like, hey, the bomb just hit this place. My my, my friend's stuck um, in the timbers. Can you come help us? And every time you go help someone else, it boosts the morale of your people, which overall makes them more healthy and makes them more able to survive. Um, there's a situation where you go to a supermarket and there are two, two or three different things. That, there are two different things that can happen at the supermarket. Either you get there, there are other people looting as well. And they say, hey, there's enough for all of us. Just you know, be cool. And you go and you loot along with them. Or you get there and there's no one there. But you get to the first door and you hear a guy talking. And it's a soldier who's there and he's going to attack this woman who's there by herself. And you come in, you kill that guy. And your entire group's morale goes up because you just saved this woman's life. This guy's going to do whatever he wanted with her and probably harm her in some way. And you stop that from happening. You saved her life and everybody's morale goes up. So you can go in and be a hero for other people, or you can be generous to other people in your neighborhood. And it's also about how other people can help their community in times of war and deprivation. And if you do that, things will end up better for you. Everybody pulls together and the community stays together and we help each other. I love that. Yeah. So basically the, the, the message of the game, rather than being this kind of like uh, war is hell kind of message, is that you can get through this if you maintain your values and manage the situation the way that you should. Like if you find yourself going against your own principles, don't do it, basically. Right. And what the game is, if, if you really play it enough and look deep enough into it, you find that it's about if you're if if you're in a situation like this and it's every man for themselves, it's going to be hell. But if you think about it in terms of we are each other's keepers, we are each other's protectors, then the community can pull together. And while it will still not be ideal, it'll still be war is still hell. You can make it less of a hell by helping each other out and being and pulling together. Okay. All right. More Hawkeye than uh, Machiavelli. All right, so let's move on to our discussion of life simulation games. I have to talk a little bit about the inspiration for this because it's a confluence of things that happened all at one time, or it seemed like they all happened at one time. The first thing was, I think it was some kind of Christmas gathering in which uh, some friends came over and uh, they started uh, They started my son off, and ultimately me and several other people in the room, on playing a game called BitLife. Have you guys seen this game, BitLife? 
No. Um, I have heard of it, but I have not played it yet. It's a really silly app that takes you from birth to death and hmm. just by making decisions. And a lot of times your decisions take you to jail and you get in jail and you try to run away from the police. And if you don't successfully run away from the police, which is some kind of logic puzzle, then you get put in jail for longer periods of time. Um, most of my characters have died unhappily. The last one was uh, a porn historian who was a womanizer and um, spent a lot of time in jail for things that didn't really make any sense to me. But so there was that going on. There was that going on. now. <laughs> there was that going on and then uh, my wife had been playing sims pretty continuously like that's her favorite game ever and um my friend ginger sent me a link to a podcast called reply all the podcast itself was about how this woman had learned to deal with grief and loss through using the sims which i thought was just that that's fantastic and so I began to think, you know, what is it about life simulation games? Why do these things make a difference to us? And, you know, the only thing I'd come up with for board games at the time, because I wasn't really doing the deep research, was life, the game of life. Um, but it just kind of called to me this question, like, why, why do we do this? What is this about? And I just sort of wanted to get into that discussion with you guys because... I think there are some things to be gained, even from a game as as linear as the game of life. But uh, I think there's some things to be gained in that, and some discussion we can have around life simulation games. So, real quickly, a life simulation game for those who don't know, and, and I've only got a Wikipedia definition, and I think we have to make our own definition because it really didn't include board games. Um, but it says a subgenre of simulation video games. We're going to say games in general, in which the player lives or controls or more one or more virtual life forms. A life simulation game can revolve around individuals and relationships, or it can just simply be a, a simulation of an ecosystem. So those are th that's kind of the the step by step process of creating life simulation, birth to death, and what you're going to do in between that time. I think the question that I ask myself and the question that I'll pose to you guys, and I have some of my own answers, but what is the reason to play a life simulation game? Well, whenever we, whenever we make decisions in our life, we don't get to go back and see what would have happened if we made a different decision. In a lot of these life simulation games, you can make the perfect decisions or you can find out what the perfect decisions are. You can try to find ideal ways of doing things and get kind of a sense of accomplishment you might not get in your regular life. So or kind you of can a make, testing ground for decision making? Yeah, or you can see what would happen if you make the world's worst decisions and watch how your simulated life becomes a complete catastrophe without actually, and then get up and get up from the computer and go back about your normal life and say, wow, I've, I haven't made those bad decisions and my life's way better than that guy's now. Yeah, I really don't want to be a porn historian who spends most of his life in jail. <laughs> My my first thought when we when when you ask that question is to think about reality TV. For example, I don't even watch sports anymore because I feel like I'm watching somebody else live their life. Yeah. And even though it's produced and it's dramatized in the case of uh, uh, reality TV and in the case of sports, you like you know I I do enjoy people playing a game at like peak human performance mm -hmm. you know there there mm -hmm. is something about that but i get that from like the highlight reel not from actually playing <laughs> the game 
You know, okay. so and and I came to realize I was like, I'm not gonna sit here for three hours to just watch somebody do something. Um, ironically, there's like Twitch gaming and things like that too, where you just watch somebody do something else. Uh, but so so that's my first thought. I'm like, Therapy I don't has a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now that we do. <laughs> um, but I was I was thinking I don't like I don't really find that fun. But I have played games that are. Um, I have played simulation games where. I don't know, just this week there was news that about how the game Farming Simulator is expanding into an eSports league, right? Like That's I think, so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently they have tournaments and stuff, but like, so people play, it's like they're hardcore <laughs> uh, Farming Simulator players. And I think, I think that at that level, it's different than just having the urge of sitting down and simulating a farming experience. Um, I think there's different kinds of simulators too. Like there's a big difference between playing an arcade racer and a driving simulator. There's there's a huge difference in how you're playing, like the, the similarities and, and and how you drive and and how you tweak your car. Like it's it's supposed to be realistic. So all those things in mind, I I love what Brian said. Like there are times like I I wish I had a more accurate simulator of my own life and I could change the variables around just to see what would happen if I did something different. I, I, I do enjoy most games because of their story and because of the ability to role play as someone or something else that I couldn't possibly do in my real life. But I do like that idea of kind of doing it very similarly. Uh, I played the, the latest Sims on mobile, which came out, I think just a few months ago. And okay. when I played that, I I actually, I made me and I made my girlfriend. And I don't think I'd ever done that in a Sims game before. I made it look like me. I kind of tried to choose jobs that I thought I would like. And it was funny to see my life playing out and trying to romance my girlfriend in a way that I've never, I, I never <laughs> did in real life. <laughs> um, and, and it was, that was, th- there was something fun about that for a little bit i didn't i didn't stick with it for a while but yeah i'm 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 really excited about this conversation because these are these are feelings that i've had in the past about these types of games where i don't again like i don't i don't i'd rather live my life than than watch somebody else live theirs or or in this case like i want to live a life in a game or in a simulation that is not my own my like, if I had a holodeck, I would not be. I was just thinking holodeck. Yeah, yeah, I would not be. Um, you know, like, yeah, let's do January twenty nineteen. You know, and in my mid thirties, and I'm, you know, blah blah blah. Like, I wouldn't recreate that. I would. I would. No, probably... but you might create like uh, touchstone points in your life where you're like, what if I changed my mind and did this this way? Maybe. See. See. You know, that's... what if what if no. I decided to take this girl out and not this girl out? What if I decided to take this job and not this job? Hmm. You know, it, as long as the holodeck could create a perfect simulation of that, there could be a value to that to see, okay, am, did I make the right choice? Yeah. And if I didn't yeah. make the right choice, how can I get back to that choice now? Yeah. I, th- I think it was in Captain America Civil War where Tony Stark has this technology where he's able to relive a memory. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like he, he puts himself, he's able to see it exactly. And you see young Robert Downey Jr., right? CGI'd, um, de-aged. And... Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different ways um, to to look at this, and I, I think I think that there are different reasons why. And I'm I'm curious. I'm sure there are also people who just like even just a slightly better version of their own life would be fun or better than 
than their own life. Maybe like, but that assumes that you're playing because you don't want to live your own life. And I, I don't, I don't agree with that either. You know, I agree with like, I think games are, are, are important and we can do something that's different. I don't think they're, they're avoidant behavior. So I don't know. Well, what, what do you I, think? I think they can be. I'm just going to say that in advance. But So, you know, we're talking about The Sims, and uh, there was a game, and I may have talked about I don't think I've talked about this on Rolling for Change before. I may have talked to you about it, or you and Brian. But uh, we, were, we were playing Sims Online when it first came out, and my wife and I are both sitting back-to-back, screens in front of us each, and living this Sim life in the midst. Like, we come home from work, Go play The Sims. Not interact with one another, but interact with our significant others inside the game. So she had a husband, I had a wife, and it wasn't each other. It was really a weird kind of time in our lives. And uh, um, there wasn't a lack of love in our lives or a lack of interest in one another. We just got caught by this simulation game. And it became something kind of, it pulled us away from life. And I finally decided, you know what? This is not working for me. It's not building our relationship. It's pulling us apart, and we've got to stop playing. And funnily enough, I, I don't know if I can say you know that it was like a zeitgeist of the time where everybody just suddenly said, you know what, this is taking us away from our regular life. But I think that's kind of what happened because suddenly, after we pulled out, it wasn't but a couple of months later that Sims Online went down. And hmm. it just it fell apart very quickly. And I think part of it was... Okay, we were living these virtual lives, but these virtual lives aren't our life, and maybe we want to do something different. I just have a feeling that, that, like, there was a collective intake of breath of the community who said, "Wait a minute, I could be out doing this for real." <laughs> no, like and, The Sims is silly and it is cartoonish and it is it is fun in a way that, like, a literal life simulation, right? It yeah would be very different. So, but. But it is close enough, right? Like you have to, you have to have a job, and you have to mm-hmm. cook and like fix your house, not die, <laughs> <laughs> not die. Don't get into a swimming pool without a ladder. Exactly. <laughs> well, I've always found The Sims to be really interesting, especially Sims Online, where you had to pay you had to pay a monthly thing for that, right? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, so you go to work and live your life to make money. So that you can spend your money to go get live another life. That's yeah, what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And that's where it got kind of messed up. And while you say that it's cartoony, Josue, that was cartoony, but that was more real life than any Sims game I've played. Yeah. Because you're yeah. actually interacting with real people in the real world who are being sort of uh, projected through these these simulation characters. But like people pay... Um, money I have been paying for, I guess, a decade now to play things like World of Warcraft, right? And you're still interacting yeah. with other people and you're living another life, but that, that, that life is not like the one you're probably living Yeah, you Earth. don't have to go and make yeah. your pizza and see if you don't burn it and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that one is an escape from life. The Sims is kind of like, a, you're still having to go to work. You're still having to go use the restroom. You're still having to take showers. You're still having to deal with arguments with people. You're still having to deal with regular life. And it's it sounds like less of an escape than going off into a fantasy world and fighting for truth and justice and honor and gathering wood for this old guy down on the corner. <laughs> it's true. I wonder how many people played The, Sim, the Sims or play The Sims or, or other games as a... 
as a as as an escape um versus playing it like an an ideal version like i've spoken to a lot of people and i've never i never played the sims this way maybe i just didn't play it long enough to get to this point but i, I know a lot of people who just use it as a chaos simulator right it's like how many yeah. things can i tweak and just like how many different weird ways can i die or burn the, the house down or you know just just have fun with it you know death shows up you know <laughs> um and and that's a very different way of playing it than than i ever have i've always tried to like you know actually progress and and, and live yeah. longer and have a better house so i don't know like people's motivations to play this type of game is, is something that i'm really interested in yeah that's one of those bizarre things like um i've been playing a game called um alter ego if you guys okay. have ever heard of that one it's, i saw it's, that listed yeah it's on ios but it's it's basically a game from 1986 um this doctor a guy with a PhD. I don't know what the PhD was in, but he designed it for the Commodore 64, DOS, and Apple systems. And it was a lot like um, a lot like uh, Choose Your Own Adventure or Bandersnatch, something like that, where you have a thing that happens and you choose between options. And those options will decide how your fate goes forward. You start off literally in the womb and you make decisions about how quickly you're going to come out or if you're going to resist and stay inside. And that that decision actually sets forward your relationships going forward. The more difficult your birth is, the more likely certain things are going to happen, or if you're an easy birth. Um, and then you go through infancy. Where you, one of the options is, you know, you, you've discovered this thing and you don't understand what it is, and it, it waves around and you, hey, you're a baby. You've just discovered your hand. Isn't that cool? <laughs> All the way through your toddler years and then your childhood years. And then your uh, teenage years, adolescence, young adult life, adult life, midlife, and old age. And you go through all these things, making these decisions. Now, they chose, whenever they did the iOS version, not to, or and it's also on Steam, I believe, but they chose not to do any edits to it because they said, if you're going to do that, you're just going to deconstruct it and just reconstruct it from whole from scratch. They wanted to give people who lived in 1986 when this game came out the opportunity to play through the game they remember. Now, there's some downsides to this, which means that if you recall in the 80s, there was no such thing as diversity. When you play this game, you are assumed to be a white, straight individual living in the 80s technology does not progress even once you get to even once you get into your 80s and you die technology is still the same as it was in 86 because they didn't have forward you know they didn't have any way of knowing what the world was going to be like now um so you basically play in that in that microcosm of 1986 life where you go to college you do this you do that the original game um sold in two boxes you either bought the female version or the male version and you got to follow those huh. lines when you buy this version you get the male and female version and you play through those storylines the way they the way they're written um, whenever you find someone to to meet fall in love with etc it's going to be the opposite gender and you're going to either have children or not and you get to make that decision at least so you get to de I, I decided for one of mine just never to have children and just went forward in that way um, I chose in one of them never to get married. I just kept dating someone until the relationship 
fell apart and then I went on a date with someone else. But you can't date multiple people because that will cause the relationship to break up because there's no such thing as polyamory in the game. So <laughs> it's assumed if you're dating someone else, it's cheating and you're done. Um, but it's it's a neat little game uh, for what it is. So a lot of these, you're stuck with the values of the culture that produces them, basically, right? The, or the value of the person who makes it. Or the value of the person who makes it. So the the Game of Life was originally called the Checkered Game of Life. It came out in 1860. Wrap your head around that. 1860. And uh, it was actually just a checkerboard where you would move along the checkerboard and try to collect spots that would give you the best life. So somebody had to identify what the best life was at that time. Fast forward 100 years and we get 1960 when we get the modern version of the game of life, the thing that we're used to with the spinny thing in the middle, the choices of going to college or not going to college, of, of uh, I think you have to get, maybe you have to have kids, I don't remember if you have to have kids, but there's certain spots in the game that like you stop on this spot and this is a life experience you absolutely have to have. And so some of these binary values that have that were originally in those are no longer uh, they no longer match our reality. But I think the idea was to try to give a template for giving you a set of choices that you can make and, and do it in a way that's kind of like um, uh, a microcosm of your life. You know, it's it's giving you a chance to make decisions in a very small way. And, of course, the game of life is kind of a children's game. In the first place, for most people, they look at it and they say, okay, yeah, this is something to help children get this idea of making choices or looking at a future life and making some choices about life. Um, but all those things, all you know, the bit life and the, the altered ego and the game of life, they all kind of give us this kind of like tree of decisions that we can make and then, you know, make that one decision and then your whole life is changed based on that one decision. What we don't have or what is harder to do, I think, is a situation where it's it's completely sandboxed so that your choices are so many options. I mean, there's still probably some limit. It's still probably a finite set of options, but it's a set of options for you where you can make what-if decisions in your life to, to move forward in it. Yeah, there are games similar to that that are kind of those choose-your-own-adventure-style games. Um, a lot of them are more fantastical, or um, but... In order to have that kind of a sandbox, you can't do a full life simulation. There are way too many options to make over the course of an entire lifetime, and it would take forever to design that. So Especially they, hard in a board game. Right. So what you, what you have to do in a board game is you have to find a microcosm. You have to narrow it down to a specific event like this war of mine where you're you're in this particular situation and you're going through months of, of, of your life and making life decisions. There's... Um, uh, a variety of games like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're those choose your own adventure games, but they're always, um, they're always set in a specific time frame. Yeah. I mean, uh, the choose your own adventure games give you this kind of very limited possibility. I just happened to think of Scott Adams games when you mentioned that choose your own adventure thing. Cause you know, it was just very simple. Go West, go North, uh, pick up lantern, whatever it might've been. Um, there is, there are some board games that I think have started to do a better job of this thing, 
And the one that stood out to me when I was doing the research and the one that I really want to play now, which I'm sad that I haven't been able to play this game before coming to this podcast, is called Pursuit of Happiness. I was just looking at that one, yeah. Uh, So this one is, it takes that game of life aspect of making choices and it makes it a worker placement in which your time is ultimately what you're spending when you choose a particular path in your life. And you have this grid of cards in front of you where you can choose this action, that action, that action. And these actions will give you certain benefits. And it has this nice kind of, uh, there's a stress dial down below where if you are lower stress, you have more positive results in the game versus higher stress, you start to have deficits in the game. And then the same goes for your, uh, what do they call it, your... um, uh, it's not temporary state of happiness, but your short-term happiness. If your short-term happiness is high, then you're going to pay with less resources, and if your short-term happiness is low, you pay with more resources. So it it takes the game of life and turns it into a Euro game complete with um, a lot more options and a lot more choice than the game of life ever would give you. And it, it, I even liked the fact that you could you could choose, like the cards turn over, so you could choose to be a male or female character, whichever one you identify with. It's harder to do like non-binary gender at this point with a, a game, but um, that's a step in the right direction where you get to choose what your what your person is going to be like, basically. Um, but when I when I was looking at that, that one looked like you know, maybe worker placement does a better job of illustrating choice-making situations than roll and move or spin and move in the case of the game of life, which gives you very minimal choices. Yeah, I, that one was one of them that was on my list of, I want to buy this and try it out. Yeah, it immediately stuck out to me like, oh, I, I need to try that. Yeah, because I don't know anyone who owns it currently. I don't I don't either. I I, did we see... had played CV before. Yes. And I think you have a copy of that one. And that one also kind of does this, but then now instead of using worker placement style mechanics... It's using Yahtzee dice rolling mechanics. Yeah. Where it's kind of the luck of the dice roll as to what you can buy in terms of the life choices you're going to make. So you roll the dice, and the dice equal a certain value, and that value is printed on cards above. And if you have the the dice that match the cards above, then you can take that particular path in life, which that path may be something as simple as going to college or starting a board game group or something like that. They, both of these games, both CV and Pursuit of Happiness, have RPGs and board games as a life option in them. <laughs> I just want to point that out. I'm really curious how you feel about the passage of time in these games. And maybe that's a whole other episode on its own. But I think that one of the things that like attracts me to these games, at least conceptually, is not so much the actions that you're taking or even the the decision tree as it, as it goes through, it's the, the span of time and how those decisions work uh, along the passage of time. Talk a little bit more about that. Cause I'm, I'm kind of hearing you're, you're talking, are you talking about the time that you're actually playing the game? Or are you talking about the way that the game represents time in your life? Yeah. 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 That's what I mean. Like if you're playing a character from birth to death, right. Or yeah. even just over the course of a few years and like that is fascinating to me. Like maybe, okay, you made a decision at this point and then multiple either years or stages down the line, even like, I love the idea of multi-generations, right? Mm-hmm. Where you made a decision and now, you know, like in civilization games and things like that, but also 
um, games that it's like, okay, so you did this. So now your kids have this, um, whether it's resources or an ability or, or, or anything like that, just the way that time flows. I mean, and that can be seen in, in different ways, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm playing from birth to death. I'm close to death. So my, the choices that I'm going to make are different now because I'm closer to the end of this timeline and possibly the end of the game. I don't know that like, that's a part that's, um, that attracts me conceptually mm-hmm. again to this, to these types of games. So you're always stuck with context, I think, because you know you're you're only the the game is only as good as the person who made the game, and and you know the choices that they might give you kind of represent their idea of what would be a good life, whatever that might be, or would be an enjoyable experience, because that maybe they're just making the game for the enjoyment of the experience. But I, I think each of these games kind of tackles some ageist issues along the way, where it's like you, whether they tackle it well or not, is is in question, but. They at least make you aware of your age and what you're doing at that age and the limits that you come across. Because as you get, I think as you get in in the pursuit of happiness, as you get towards old age, you start to have much more limits on the possibilities of the things you can do. Like you 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 can do things, but you do them at much higher cost because now you're old and there's this uh, new variable on your life that's keeping you from achieving those things in the quick way you might have when you had the lower level in the game. Yeah, alter ego kind of does the same thing too. Once you get into you know midlife and older, you try to do some things that maybe as as someone who's forty seven, I've discovered I can't do anymore. Um, you you suffer the consequences in the game. It says, yeah, your health score is not high enough to pull that off anymore. Sorry. <laughs> and a lot of it depends on how how well you've boosted your health score earlier in life, and. Um, also, your age. Your age just diminishes it no matter what, to a certain extent. Now, Hostway, you mentioned generational things. And the only game that I have that, it's, obviously Civ games do that kind of thing, but the only other game that I have that sort of represents that idea is a game called The Village. And, and The Village is, is a very, it's a minor simulation of living in this uh, maybe medieval village. And uh, your goal is to live a good life doing the work that you want to do and die well-known and pass those skills off or pass those resources off to your next generation because you're going to you're going to kill off characters in the game on a regular basis like uh, basically each each step you make like let's say you go and apprentice at a place that makes beer well that might take you a good bit of your life and so you move around this little board that's your life tracker and now you've only got half your life left to actually succeed at this this enterprise that you've done but if you die then you kind of send this you you you've already kind of started being teaching your descendants how to run the brewery as well and so then they come along and run the brewery so it's uh that's the only one i've seen where it kind of takes into effect the idea that one life is is impacting the next life so does that fantastic game by the way (laughs) yes it is does that make a game either more or less um, attractive to you in any way the that idea of how how the time is passing because i mean just storytelling wise that's something that i i really like in movies or in in books if you tell me that the story is about you know takes place over 100 years or something like that or 500 years i'm like oh that's cool like i'm really interested in that yeah i kind of liked um uh if you ever seen the time traveler's wife where it bounces back and forth and you get to see different things that happen throughout someone's life but they're out of order of course 
Yeah. And it's it's interesting to to do that too to see some, to see this guy age and he's older in the past than he is in the future and you come into him at various stages of his life and then you watch the main character the other main character age chronologically through the film. And that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think playing games and the way time works in games, I think I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around the question just because I'm I, I'm really kind of stuck in my own questioning self as to what it is about that experience that is something that makes me go back to it. I can say with The Village, I've played it multiple times, and what makes me go back to that is just it's it's probably the only game I know of where you are purposely killing off characters to create more kind of notoriety in the game. Um, and I don't know if it's so much that, as a, except that that's a mechanism that is very well thematically placed in the game. And I, I think one thing I'll say is that a good thematically developed game, whatever its story, is usually going to have me uh, more interested than a, a one that's not good thematically. So I was reading an article about a guy who said, I will never let my kids play the game of life because he basically said life isn't just these binary choices. Life doesn't have these kind of aspects to it. And so I I think the thing that I keep coming to is that if I'm going to find an interest in the game, it has to sort of, it has to both simulate life in a way and at the same time entertain me because I'm not really trying to make choices about washing dishes and make choices about cleaning the house. I'm not trying for the pedestrian things, and so most of these games don't do that. They, they take apart the, the big life decision moments like going on dates and, and uh, buying houses and getting married and uh, or not getting married and becoming a bum, whatever it might be, sort of these life choice moments. And that kind of that's what draws me into it is because it's almost like watching this, this comical... A cascade of decisions lead to whatever. I almost want it to be that I can see a bit of reality, but in the same way as The Sims, I also want to see the absurd in the moment because I can compare my life to that absurdity, and I can see that this is an absurd choice for me to make to become uh, a porn historian. This is an absurd choice for me, but it's something that the game allows me to make. So I think that piece right there is this idea that. I can do something different, but it's going to be entertaining to me. Now, if you're talking about generational games where it spans generations, um, this one's a little little out of left field, but I love it. Gloom. Okay. Where you, you are portraying a family. and But the, the key of the game is to make their life as kind of comically, absurdly horrible as possible so that they die in these they eventually die in these terrible ways that just is utterly depressing kind of Adam's family style. Um, and it's, it's a fun little game because you, you are their transparent cards and you lay them down over each other's cards, over your own cards to make yourself de- to, you know, decrease the happiness or decrease the, the positive aspects of your own family to make their story more um, tragic and you play the cards on other people's to make their story less tragic. So yours can be the most tragic family history. It seems that one of the things that I see in these games is it. it a lot of them are about, you know, pursuing or not, in the case of Gloom, or not pursuing happiness. Um, so that's kind of, 
it gives you an option of looking at it from the point of view as what is the purpose of this thing in the first place. Going back to the game of life, and I don't want to keep going back to that, but it, it, it is sort of the seminal seed of some of this. The end game, you, you win if you make all the money. You win if you die a millionaire. And we know, most likely, the three of us are not going to die a millionaire. I mean, I'd love for it to be the true truth for any of us. Still but, working on it. Yeah, exactly. But that's not the goal, per se. And that was one of the things that that guy said about not allowing his kid to play was was that the goal can't be just about money. And so I like these games that, that take it to a more realistic level, which is more about the goal is to change the quality of your life to give you a chance to change the quality of your life or in the in the in the case of gloom to give you a chance to make your life worse you know it's almost adam's family turned upside down kind of thing um uh but i i think that piece matters in terms of these things is that it points us to what we maybe want to do that we're not doing or points us to the things we know about the things that we're trying to do. That seems sufficiently confusing to me right now as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, there's, it, you you can alternately, some people play these games um, to try to see if they can make the best life possible. Yeah. And especially in the sandboxy kind of game, sometimes you can, you, you want to watch, you want to play it so you can just see how god-awful you can make the life. Some people just like to watch the world burn. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, like going back to this War of Mind, I've played the game in two different ways. I've tried to play it, you know, completely, you know, psychopath style where it's every man for himself. And that never ends well. The game's designer wanted to make a point that if you do that, all of because none of your none of the people in the game except for the bad guys are psychopaths. So every time you steal from someone who's just an innocent, every time you hurt someone who doesn't deserve it, um, every time you don't help someone who needs help, your morale goes down, and eventually you can become broken, and your character will not get up off the floor, and they'll either commit suicide or leave in the middle of the night and go try to find some other place to live or die, and. Once they're broken, no one's doing anything. You can, All you can do is hope you have one character who can go talk to them and boost their morale to get them risen up to depressed. That's your, that's your only hope. If everyone in the place gets broken, is broken emotionally, you just keep going to the next day because they won't go out and scavenge. They won't go eat. <clears throat> they won't do anything. And you just keep clicking next day until eventually you come to the inevitable thing where everyone's either committed suicide or left or died of their wounds or starve to death or what have you because they're not going to, they can't find any motivation to do anything anymore. So in, in that case, the only way to really play the game successfully is to try to play it as, as positive as you can. So you really can't play that, that um, let's see how, let's see if I can make the world burn because you're going to lose the game doing that. Yeah. Because the, the creators have their own ideas of what they want you to get out of the game Never right. mind that we bring our own history to the game board or to the to the screen and we interpret what we see through our own eyes. There are still things that the the authors of these games are trying to get through to us. You know, it's almost the uh 
it's all about context. Um, I think what I'm seeing, based on our discussion, is that a life simulation game gives you a set of choices, lets you do a what-if kind of thing with your life, and also, I think it's important, because for games to be meaningful, it has to, some in some way, take you out of your own life and posit situations that you just won't be in, whether it's this war of mine, gloom, or I guess the game of life is the only one that really tried to to, to identify this like social structured life that they that that at least in the '60s everybody thought this is the life you have to live. Um, never mind that it's kind of almost like a subtle cultural programming of our youth to make only certain decisions. Um, so we haven't brought up Second Life, and I don't know a lot about Second Life. I was thinking, Josue, you might have some insight into the idea of what Second Life is all about. Yeah, that's very much a <clears throat> a more of a blank canvas uh, sort of game where you even have people who are like real estate agents there because they, they build actual structures in the game and then sell them to other people. I don't remember how the jobs things work. I don't remember if you had to... Um, work for uh, currency or if you could buy it but you could definitely exchange currency so you could have mm. somebody work for you you could pay somebody for a service so it was very much a life simulation it was basically whatever you wanted there was no there's really no game there it's just yeah it was meant people, to be a platform for having life outside of life yeah yeah a second life if you will uh, yeah yeah <laughs> So you created an avatar and then you, you lived out a life there and you could meet with other people. And, you know, I, I, I'm almost certain there were no um, non-playable characters in the game. Everybody there was real. And, yeah, there have been some amazing stories that I've heard um, from there because, because, yeah, people basically created another life and, and lived it there. So there, was, there really wasn't a game. Okay. Was just yeah, no, it, it's 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 not. Yeah, you're right. It's really not a game. It's more of just a piece of software that allows people to interact socially in a, in this alternate environment. Um, but some of these things edge into that social media side of life, where it's not so much about living a simulation of your life, but about the way that you connect with other people. Yeah, there was a game I found on iPad when I was doing this research called Hotel Hideaway. I have to mention this because I, I spent some time in Hotel Hideaway, which is all real people living in this real hotel. Um, and most of it seems to be about changing your fashion, changing your hair color, changing your look, making friends. Um, everybody talks about getting cookies. Um, I, I kind of determined that it wasn't so much a life simulation as a social networking platform. Most of the people in there seem to be as far as I can tell, and this is just you know my Saturday Night Live sort of point of view coming in, older adult males playing as younger younger uh, teenage females. Alrighty then. I really think that's what's going on there. Um, when I was in there, I got uh, I got propositioned by a few people, even though I myself was playing a teenage female. <laughs> But the idea being that I was just kind of like trying to infiltrate their world and live as they do. And it was, it was just a bizarre little place. I ended up talking to this one person, whoever they were, for about an hour and a half to two hours. We're, you know, sitting on the beach watching the ocean, talking about our favorite things to do. And 
um, it was just really surreal. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the conversation, she says, do you think we should meet in person? I'm like, we just met. <laughs> we just met tonight, and you have no idea who I am. I have a fake avatar. I have nothing that identifies me on here whatsoever. I said, no, I don't think that would be appropriate. <laughs> but the, the, the interesting thing is, is just that there are these things where people want to live a life outside of their own life. And, and, and even, that's maybe where so, it gets into that thing where you talk about escape versus um, use for some reason, you know? Yeah, well, it, it, that specific scenario makes me think that, you know, maybe maybe if I believe that meeting people in real life is hard, that but I'm more comfortable in a digital space, I could start there and maybe make friends that way, right? So... So, okay, I, I did this difficult social thing that I'm, for whatever reason, I, I either cannot or, or believe that I cannot do it in real life. So I'm going to initiate this in, in the game world, and now it's done. Now I, I feel like I've, I've overcome that hurdle, and now, hey, you want to meet in real life? This is like a very positive, optimistic, idealistic <laughs> version yeah, I was gonna say, of what happened. Very uh, host way probably the sky video yeah, games is, help us all. Yeah, it was probably a phishing uh, <laughs> uh, scam, right? I mean, this person wanted your liver or something. I don't know, but <laughs> but I'm saying there are people who use online spaces in that way. Like I've, I I know many people who their relationships started in some sort of online space and then moved to there. So I mean that's something we haven't really touched on but i mean in, in general games do not help you do le- learn a skill in real life right like you can play a, a first person shooter all day and you know that doesn't you're still help not going to be good at going out and doing being a first person shooter yeah you can't shoot it, a gun it, right but there it depends it depends flight simulators for pilots that's one example that actually kind of works that's fair so that's oh, fair. D- depends right i mean not with just like one flight joystick and like or playing on a keyboard and mouse, right? Like there's right, there are things. Right. No, I, I agree. Like there, it's to a certain extent. Like I, I honestly believe I became a better driver um, after learning how to really play Gran Turismo because that's a, a simulator. It helped mm-hmm. me with uh, with concepts. It didn't help me with the actual physical act of driving. I learned how to, you know, use the the, the gas and the brake in a more efficient manner. Um, but th- th- there are certain things that I, I wonder how many people use a simulation of a game like flight simulator is a great example i want to be a pilot in a few years so i'm going to start playing pilot simulator uh maybe maybe or a flight simulator uh, i'm going to get the joystick and everything so so i wonder how many people do that right like maybe maybe i'm practicing my social interactions uh, in second life so that i can do that better in real life I wonder, like, how many people think that by playing the game of life, <laughs> they're getting get better at life? I don't know. Well, it, maybe in the 60s, they did think, you know, that it, it brought some level of understanding about your future to to kids. I mean, Art Linkletter, and I don't know much about him, but Art Linkletter really endorsed this game because it was this, like, microcosm of the American experience and, and you know... This is the this is a good example of how life can be kind of thing, two car garage and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know I'm really good at Guitar Hero, so I'm gonna get up on the stage and. <laughs> I can assure you that one doesn't work. But no, I, do have, I know that like, it doesn't that's work. That's funny because no, it doesn't work. But I do have Rocksmith, which requires an actual which guitar. requires that you learn the guitar. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're actually playing the songs. Yeah. So there's a side of these things that can be very positive for you, either helping you to understand life decisions or helping you to practice your way of being with other people, uh, take chances, you know, because obviously you can take much more chances in Hotel Hideaway with your your way of speaking to someone than you can take in, like, a bar situation or something. Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, in education, I use games a lot to teach concepts and things, right? Like, it was, it was, we've talked about that in the past. Like, it's, it's more fun to play a game than just read a book or maybe have a discourse. So, I mean, that, that is possible, but I don't know how much of that is possible within the genre of life simulation games as we know it. (laughs) I don't know that that's, well, there, always, there that's is, ever the intention. You know, I did find some research that said that they were using The Sims as a means of teaching uh, this group of people. is a very small sample of people, but teaching people English as a second language because they were yeah, using uh, The pff- Sims as a way to kind of engage their sense of enjoyment while at the same time pointing out the concepts in the game that maybe you should learn more about or try to be able to to verbalize the things that were going on. Yeah, but Sims wasn't designed with that in mind, right? That's what I what That's I meant. That's true. Like, life simulation games aren't necessarily meant to be a life simulator. <laughs> Fair enough. In the, in the sense of, like, you know, like, teaching you how to then do, like, as a, as a training tool. I don't think. Are there any? No, probably not. I mean... <laughs> uh, the the creator of the sims will write did take his his sort of ideas from abraham maslow and um an architecture book and uh maps of the mind and artificial intelligence so it it does have some underlying sort of idea that that you're you're using it for that purpose to build yourself as a person kind of thing I guess we've kind of gotten the, to the root of it, but any final thoughts, anything that you feel like you might have learned through our discussion, anything that you feel like, have have we have we motivated some new need? Have we, I don't know, just what's, what's your reactions uh, to our discussion here? Well, um, I do know that um, while I do like the concept of a full life simulation game, like birth to death, uh, it's a really hard thing to pull off and do it right. Um, that's why the majority of them are focused on this microcosm of a certain aspect of someone's life. I've seen a lot of games about your career or your you know, young adult life, adult life, middle life. Um, we've got uh, everything from games as simple as Shea Geek, where you're a bunch of you know slacker losers living in an apartment together. Mm-hmm. And you're going through those those you know, college or not so college years, uh, to games like, uh, like, um, careers, payday, careers, payday, that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to see more fully fleshed out full life games. I, what I'd really like to see are some games based on being a toddler and being elderly that little microcosm, because that is, we're really lacking in those. And I'd, I'd like to play a game from those perspectives. Bedpans and broomsticks, but we we we, no. we put ourselves in a really bad situation with that game when we uh, sort of identify certain styles of being a senior citizen. 
Yes, I, I have no interest in that game at all. Um, I mean, as a senior citizen, you're trying to escape from the place you're living, and the goal of the game is to capture them and get them back. That's... <laughs> That's one of the that's one of the main goals of the game. It's I, a really terrible game premise. It's a terrible game. No, no, no. Now, one that I do want to try is uh, a game called My Story. It's a deck building game. Plays in about an hour, and you you know, you gain life stories, complete projects, switch occupations possibly until everyone re- you start from you know childhood and go through your or start from young adulthood i think and build your life until everyone reaches the age of retirement and when you retire the person with the most gratifying life scores and gets you know gets victory points and whoever has the most gratifying life wins now our friend amanda has that game so i gotta get with her next time to see if she she and leon can bring that to the next gathering but that's that that's one of those all lifelong games that I'm I'm interested in trying out because it does kind of focus on getting to retirement age. We're not there yet, Brian. <laughs> Although I've said I do want to retire to a a if a retirement home, then it better be a retirement home filled with board games. I think we need to work on that. I think so. That that could be the. That can be the pet project of Rolling for Change to create uh, retirement <laughs> homes for board gamers. That's how you become a millionaire. <laughs> I'm going to win at the game of life. <laughs> I don't know. That may be how you become a hundred heir. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, how you go bankrupt. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Hostway? Any closing thoughts? Anything that sort of rattled your bones here in the game, in the talk? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Anything that's caught <laughs> yeah, your attention? I, um, I think the potential for life simulation games is is huge. Um, I was thinking of a game. There's a game called Rogue Legacy that I really like, and then it translates um, human traits and sometimes uh, physical uh, disabilities into some sort of gameplay mechanic. So, like, if you were colorblind, then you are you see everything in black and white. Or if you're nearsighted, you can only see, you only have like a, your, your vision is very limited and you can only see things that are a few feet in, in front of you, for example. Um, it does things like that. And, and I think there's, there's tons of uh, space to like, uh, translate certain aspects of life into game mechanics and put that into other games. Like Rogue Legacy is uh, you play a medieval knight over multiple generations of that right like you you die and then you play as your ancestor i mean your not your ancestor your the next person in your in your lineage uh but on the other on the other uh end of that there's there's vr and the ability to like we mentioned the holodeck before like there there are ways like i've been playing star trek bridge crew where i'm Mm -hmm. sitting in the bridge of uh, three different i have the option of three different um uh, starships and the first time i ever played that game i looked down and i was a woman and i had i had breasts and i had, was wearing this dress that was very shortcut because i was in the original series i think oh there you go um, and i was like what <laughs> what is like, that's not the character <laughs> i chose at the beginning it was such a such a strange experience but like everything we talked about like in in second life and and, and other games vr can really take that to another level i've played a I played an archery game once where, you know, I had to 
pull my hand behind my head to pull uh-huh. an arrow and then, you know, pull back to shoot. And it was exhausting. <laughs> it was much harder than <laughs> just pressing A to shoot. <laughs> but, but you know, those those things are happening more and more. I, I have a PlayStation VR because it's the, the most affordable um, equipment and and there is like a it's called the aim controller and it's a it's supposed to it doesn't look like a gun but it's supposed to simulate the the holding of a, of, a, of a weapon so when you play it in the game that weapon like you're holding it in your hand and in the game you see that you have some sort of weapon in your hand so so there's just the possibilities are, are incredible and the things that we'll be able to see in the future are are cool and on the board game side too like with ar and things like that i think it's so cool but the kind of things that that we'll see in that arena so we'll have to revisit this topic i don't see the virtual coming to board games as well but i i think that i think that this idea of of using virtual space whether it's through a a holodeck which is uh too bad that doesn't really exist and or you know a vr headset um that that can offer a lot of new possibilities um well and and AR on on um, board games like we're seeing things like that right where you can overlay something like you you can see yeah. it through through um, whether it's glasses or your phone or an iPad or something like that I think I think it, it just it'll add to games in general but something like this is pretty cool like what if you I don't know just like uh, in in this war of mine Brian mentioned that you like skip to the next day right well like what if you could do that in the board game right like you're like okay advance one day and suddenly you see this overlay changing right as as time passes on the game and then the next day things have moved around or or, or there's a different effect i don't know i like Pretty that cool. that's yeah. uh that's exciting the idea that uh bringing those uh, almost like altered reality uh I, i'm guessing you'd have to have a mask on or something but bringing that to the board game world I, 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 that sounds fantastic so I, I think what I've gathered from our discussion, you know, I was thinking, you asked the question, Josue, and, and you seem to be asking me, you know, what, what would drive you to a game like that? And I didn't ever, in the process of my research, sort of take apart my own experience, which is kind of sad. I should probably do that a little more just because I'm the one asking the question. Therefore, there must be an answer somewhere within. Um Pursuit of Happiness uh, of all the of all the games I researched here was the one that kind of stood out the most to me, and the th- reason that I want to see it is is more because I okay, it's cartoony in the first place. It's it's done in kind of a tongue in cheek way, but the other piece to it is that the decision tree allows you to make a lot of different decisions, and so you're going to see the creativity of the maker. You're going to see the way the theme comes through the game, and you're going to be able to sort of have this moment of living your best life so to speak within the context of a you know an hour and a half game um and maybe that is the nice thing is to be able to walk away and say well that was that was a life i just lived and now i've gotten through an hour and a half of a life and now i'm back to my normal life but uh this was a lot of fun because i got to do all these different things that i wouldn't have done normally um so i I think that stands out to me as one of the reasons to play a life simulation is because you can sort of make your make your decision making look a little more fantastic, a little more exaggerated, and a little more. Um, I mean, I'm certainly I'm sure some in the, somewhere in the back of my mind as I'm playing these games, I'm probably making some decisions about life in general. But on the surface and where I'm most present at, it's it's about having the fun of 
making decisions without them having any real impact on my life whatsoever. And I guess that's probably what games do for us and what video games do it for us also. But I sometimes have problems playing video games where I don't recognize that it has an impact on my life outside. Like, you know, I like I won't make this decision because it seems like it's so outside of my normal way of being. Yeah, I tend to, like I said at the beginning, I even tend to avoid reality TV shows because it, it it's like, ugh, you know, life. I don't want to I want to deal with I, I got my don't own. Talk to me about life. <laughs> yeah, I was, about to, I was about to go full Marvin on that one. Life. Don't talk to me about life. Um. Uh, so yeah. So uh, this conversation makes me. I'm excited. I want to try out a few of these games and just again going back to this war of mine. It's a game that I never give a chance. This is a genre that I I, I rarely give a chance to. So I'm I'm curious what my experience will be. As tends to happen with the, with these conversations that we have, I'm I'm way more open minded and I'm more interested in in having some of those experiences, and being open to what I might feel or what I might learn from those experiences. So yeah, I just want to go back to Hotel Hideaway to meet my meet my would be girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hung up on being a porn historian. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> it's one of the options in BitLife. Yeah, it seems to happen if you don't have enough education. Even though I swear I studied, 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 but I never got <laughs> passport historian. <laughs> I I find it interesting that in a lot of these uh, games where you can take multiple routes, uh, like I play Alter Ego. Like I said, I've been playing that one quite a bit, and I've noticed that there there you don't have to go the relationship route. You can skip that altogether and never have a relationship. Focus on career. Focus on health focus on your own self and go through the entire game until old age and death with no relationships. I found that I tend to choose the options to have a relationship, to get married, to choose social interaction, to choose friends. And I completely forget to take the, um, I forget to take the road for career. So I wind up in a, you know, okay career, but I never change my career. I never go back to school and improve myself in my career. And I wind up, you know, with a good marriage and a good life and good friends. But the aspect of the career is always put off to the side. And it led me to think more about how I tend to view my life. I'm more focused on my relationships, my family, my friend, my, my children, my wife, my friends, and being social than I am about my job. My job is the thing that I do um, while I'm at work. And even whenever I'm at my job, I'm more focused on the social aspect of my students' lives and teaching them the skills, but teaching them the skills and trying to relate to them how it's going to impact their lives, not just teaching, this is a great book, you should learn to read this book. I'm more involved than that in, in their lives in a way. So you find that it's a, a mirror for some of the decisions you already make in life. Yeah, and it, it helps hold up a mirror that tells me, hey, these are the things that I focus on in a game. This is just the way I'm wired, apparently. And so maybe it pushes us to stretch ourselves and make different decisions than we would make, even though we would might play the game as if we'd just gotten to the same decision and made the same decision again. 
that we made in the first place. So, of course, in that same vein, watching people who play these games almost exclusively to watch the world burn, I kind of, you know, give them a little side eye and go, okay, I I see where you're going with this. Um, Backing away slowly a little bit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All those stories early on when The Sims first came out about the, the spectacular way that people were killing Sims, and all I could do is my heart would wrench, and I'd be like, yeah. But those are people. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I couldn't take it. I even I think I even watched Susie do some do one of those things where she took the the uh the ladder out of the pool and I just I couldn't I couldn't stay and watch. I couldn't take it. That it's too realistic at times. <laughs> All right. We're going to go out and probably play some life simulation games, each of us, and hopefully we come back with some uh, some different perspective next time we talk. But uh, I've really enjoyed our play discussion more about Hunter. life simulation games. One of we're those. all we're going to play Monster Hunter. Yeah, one, <laughs> one of those. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for the discussion. I, I'm looking forward to the next time we get together. And, and for the rest of you out there, our listeners, if you would like to contact us. As always, we are gamers at rollingforchange.com. We'd love to hear from you. We also have a, a, a fantastic tool in the um, Geek Therapy, both the website and the, it's not Slack, it's um, the Discord. Discord. Yeah. Um, the, the presence in Discord is fantastic. You can get on there and talk with, with geeks about any area of geekdom that you want to, and there's somebody there who's willing to talk to you about it. So I'd love to have these conversations over on the the Geek Chat there. But just check us out in all the different formats that we are making available. And uh, we look forward to hearing from each of you. Why do you play life simulation games? And what do you get out of life simulation games? And what lessons have you learned? Um, we want to hear from you. So please, ring us up. Let us know. So thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Let's all keep on rolling for change. Bye-bye. Ooh. Thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change. This has been episode 25, a discussion of life simulation games. Rolling for Change is proud to be a member of the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy offers a number of geeky podcasts such as Starship Therapies, Superhero Therapy, and many more. To learn more about our network, just visit geektherapy.com. If you're enjoying our podcast, we want to see you in the Geek Therapy forums, in our Discord chat, or at the very least, you can email us. We are gamers at rollingforchange.com. Not only do we want and need your input, but we are looking for editors and bloggers to join our team. Please email us to find out more. If you're enjoying our theme song, it's from the album Refuel by Rocket Scientist. To learn more about their music, look for them on Bandcamp.com. Be sure and tune in again for our next episode when we discuss how games bring us together and tune up our social batteries. Until then, keep playing games and keep on rolling for change. (laughs) 